0: It is the season of Easter, and for the Bible study series on the book of Hebrews, I do apologize that I don't have a manuscript set up. But we are going into Hebrews chapter 11, which is all about faith. And in the midst of the boomerang-like quality of me taking a week off and then immediately being swamped with work, I decided to let somebody help me out. We have a guest that has some things I'm going to read to you about the topic of faith. This week and next week, we'll be discussing faith from this particular theologian's perspective. Let's go ahead and read what he has to say on the matter of faith. To answer the question of what is faith, he says, Faith is the yes of the heart, a conviction on which one stakes one's life. On what does faith rest? On Christ born of a woman, made under the law, who died, and so forth, as the children pray. To this confession I say, yes, with the full confidence of my heart. Christ came for my sake, in order to free me from the law, not only from the guilt of sin, but also from the power of the law. If you are able to say yes to this, you have what is called faith, and this faith does everything. But this faith does not grow by our own powers. On the contrary, the Holy Spirit is present and writes it in the heart. The soul would like to live forever, not to be damned, but to have a gracious God, to be able to stand before the wrath and judgment of God, to be unaccused by sin and the law, and not go to hell. This is the desire of the soul. This is a spiritual hunger and thirst. And to satisfy this hunger and thirst, we need the spiritual food and drink which are supplied when the Holy Spirit comes and says, If you do not want to die or be damned, then come to Christ. Believe on him. Hold to him. Eat this spiritual food. Let this be your prime concern. In the second place, we should remember this text well as a great comfort and as a strengthening of our faith, because the Lord says, He who comes to me will not hunger nor thirst, that is, he will not die. These words we should write in our hearts with letters of gold. I with living letters, and that would be better, that everybody may know where he will leave his soul, where he will go when he departs this world. Then he would know this precious truth, my soul stays with Christ. This man will not lie to me. These are very precious, valuable, and worthwhile words, which we must not only know, but also turn to our use and say. With these words I shall go to bed in the evening and arise in the morning. On them I shall rely, sleep, wake, work, and cross the bridge into the beyond. Regarding the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he says, It is the nature of faith to deal with possessions which it neither sees nor feels, but handles just as if they were present. Though it has no other assurance than the knowledge that God neither lies nor deceives, faith acts like this in all sorts of relations. For example, when I am to die and death faces me, I must go on. But I do not know where I should place my foot first. Now if unbelief is there, it trembles, shudders, and says, Where shall I go now? Who knows what is to become of me? Unbelief always wants to see and feel where to go, but its ambition is not realized. Therefore it must despair. Faith, however, thinks thus. I know not where I am going. Go I must. I see and feel nothing, but I will commend myself to him who has said in the psalm, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. Psalm 55, verse 23. In reliance on these words I pass on, for I know that he will not lie. In this way faith has life, but does not see it. Nay, sees nothing but the opposite. So sharp are the eyes of faith. Faith can see in the dark where nothing whatever is visible. It feels where nothing is to be felt. Thus, we also believe in the Lord Christ, believe that he is sitting at the right hand of the Almighty Father above, and so rules that he has all creatures in his hand and works everything in us. We do not see this, nor do we feel it. Yet through faith the heart sees it, as surely as if it were looking at it with bodily eyes. Now, to be certain, though, this theologian, who speaks with such great words, he does want us to know that faith is not mere knowledge. The sophists, ready to distort scripture, cavil at this passage and say the just lives by faith, of course, but by an efficacious faith, an operative one, or one that has been formed by love. But if faith is unformed, it does not justify. This is the gloss they have devised, and by it they do violence to the words of the prophet. If they were to call a formed faith that true and theological, or as Paul puts it, unfeigned faith in 1 Timothy 1.5, which God calls faith, this gloss of theirs would not offend me. For in that case, no contrast would be established between this faith and love, but between it and a vain imagination concerning faith. In this manner, we too discriminate between an imaginary and a true faith. An imaginary faith is one that hears about God, Christ, and all the mysteries of the Incarnation and Redemption, comprehends all the things it has heard, and knows how to speak about them beautifully. Yet it remains mere imagination and a pointless hearing which leaves in the heart only a sound of that gospel about which it chatters a lot. But in reality this is not faith, for it does not regenerate and does not change the heart, does not make a new man of the person, but leaves him in his former view and way of life. This sort of faith is, moreover, very harmful. It would be better Not to have it at all. A philosopher who is moral is better than a hypocrite who has such a faith. Christian faith is not an idle quality or an empty husk in the heart which could exist amid mortal sin until love is added and makes it alive. But if faith is real, it is a sure confidence of the heart and a firm assent by which Christ is apprehended in such a way that he is the object of faith. In fact, not the object either, but to put it this way, in such faith, Christ himself is present. I have often said that whoever wants to be saved should act as though no Other human being except him existed on earth, and as though all the comfort and promise of God found here and there in Scripture concerned him alone and was written only for his sake. Yes, this theologian sounds a bit like he's an egoist when we say that, but let's keep reading. The word and faith should stand together. For the one cannot exist without the other. He who believes but does not have the word believes as do the Turks and the Jews. They believe that God is gracious and merciful, but they lack a promise. For God will not be gracious without Christ. Just so the word does no good to the man who has it, but lacks faith. Thus, the word and faith have been given in marriage, and neither can let itself be separated from the other. An enthusiast believes that Judgment Day will come within four weeks, but such a faith is a plain lie, for it rests on no word of God. A Turk believes that he will come to enjoy salvation through the guidance of his Muhammad, but this is a plain lie, for this notion rests on no word of God. Again, the Pope believes that a Christian must advance to heaven by his own works, but this is a false faith, for it lacks the word and promise of God. Therefore, a man may well have faith, that is, he may expect and hope for something, but since it lacks the basis of the word, it is no real faith. But we Christians do not lack the word, for by God's grace we actually have the word in all its purity but we lack faith. Therefore we are not able to believe the word as firmly as we should, and yet the others can believe firmly and strongly without the word. The devil is the cause of this and original sin, for it draws us from the word and the truth to lies. Therefore it is difficult to guard against unbelief, even though we have the word, for our flesh and reason will have none of the word." But still, every man is only to believe the gospel because it is God's word and because he is convinced in his heart that it is the truth, although an angel from heaven and all the world were to preach against it. As you can tell by now, our guest theologian for this Sunday and for next Sunday is the good old Dr. Martin Luther, speaking on the topic of faith. And he speaks of it as confidence, believing and trusting that God does as he says, that his promises are true. We apprehend this and treat God as real because he is the existent, immortal, perfect God. He does save our souls. And so our lives, including our good works, flow from that. Which is why even Luther, as much as people might say he sounds like a Catholic for it, he says that the man who has faith is going to do his best to quit sinning because faith is a massive part of regeneration, as we will see week after next as we get into the text of Hebrews chapter 11. So for those that are in house churches listening to this going, what on earth do I do with this? For deacons and lay leaders, I suggest having a discussion on the topic of faith. Searching the scriptures, especially Hebrews 11, for an understanding of what faith is and how it interacts with our souls. When we start up through Hebrews 11, it's going to be a huge, huge topic to keep in mind. We are probably going to spend forever in that chapter, but oh well. I will catch y'all in the next recording, which will come out today for those people who want it for both weeks or all at once. I will see you then. Amen and amen.